listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. We've long and This is the capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 161. It's the first episode of the new year of a regular show. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are just ecstatic to be back. I know, it's been too long. To it's been too long. There's been so much that has happened in four weeks. Uh, you know, everything from a lot of you have been kept me in your thoughts with the death of my father. That's been a very sad thing. There's been a lot of good movies that have been out there as well. Um, but we're grateful to still be here in the new year. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, Miles, how in the heck are you doing? Doing pretty good. I've had an opportunity to catch up on some movies. Um, we did see The Hobbit, and we loved, my wife and I loved The Hobbit. I uh, talked about it in, in the um, listener feedback show. We also saw Looper. Uh, that was the Bruce Willis, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. I can't wait to see that one. So, um, uh, we'll talk about that later, and uh, maybe off-air. And uh, we all... Not necessarily sci-fi, but spy-fi, um, the newest um, Born Identity movie. So that was very good. We enjoyed that. It's coming in the mail this week, too, so I can't oh, wait to see that. I, I think you'll like that. I think I will, too. I think and will too. we finally saw, I finally saw Iron Sky. So, right. That, so enjoyed that. And enjoyed that for mm-hmm. what it was. Enjoyed for what it was. It was, you know, it, it, was, black, it was basically what, what Timo said. It's, it's a black comedy. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there's definitely a message in there. Yeah, there, 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 there definitely is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you love Sarah Palin in it? Um, <laughs> it it's funny. She, her character, she's just the president, but you can tell who she is. Oh, yeah, you can tell who she is. She's, I don't think she's really given a name, huh? She's not giving a name, but you, you kind of know who she is, yeah. yeah. Thanks for uh, M. Sierra Garcia, who, of course, does the promo work, the opening voice work in our show. And mm-hmm. so thank you, M. Sierra, for doing that. Um, that sounds fantastic. It does. Life. It sounds awesome. My wife is officially out of a job now, <laughs> which is totally fine. She's totally cool with that. So, uh, in my sci-fi world, um, I have watched Batman: The Dark Knight Rises. Phenomenal movie. First oh, time good. I watched it. See Chris Judge in there? Oh, I did see. It's not very long, but he's there. Right, he's there, and uh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Robin's kind of his sidekick, unbeknownst the whole way through the movie, mm-hmm. and the fact that. Uh, they leave way for it to rise into a fourth movie, whether. But I don't think it'll be. Um, it won't be. Uh, who's the guy that played uh, Christian Bale? No, Christian Bale is definitely done. But they could get another guy to fill the role of Batman because Batman, as they said in the movie, can be anyone. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So they left that wide open. Maybe, maybe it would be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Who knows? Yeah, it would be. It'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Be nice. But 
Anyways, so certainly enjoying all that and really looking forward to our shows coming back on the air again and um, just can't wait for Arrow, Fringe, and everything else that's happening. Yeah. Continuum, everything else coming down the pike. Oh, yeah. Well, what is on the docket of this show tonight? Uh, rumor has it we have a pretty fantastic show here. We have a nice menu tonight. Uh, we'll have an interview with uh, Steve Wilson uh, of, of the Farpoint Convention. Yes, uh, you know, and our... As we're saying, our cook Joe is going to be serving up some good things. Right. So. And oh, we have a new trivia question this week. <coughs> Excuse me. It's yeah. one that Miles guarantees will stump you. You're, you're going to have to do a little work for this one. Uh, we have a Revolutions trailer and um, finally some Continuum news. Yeah. And, um, well, it's not really news because by the time we air this, the first show will air up. But um, we're just happy that Continuum is, go- is uh, starting next week. Yeah, uh, absolutely. On uh, January 14th. Uh, movie, we have some movie news, uh, uh, trailers for Ghost Recon, Pacific Rim, and some Justice League news. And um, a special interest story, uh, World of Warcraft can be good for you. Yes, can you believe it? We'll talk about that. And so, Miles, what else? What is going on in the twist this week? Well, this has already been in the news, but thought you and I could talk about it a little more. So, uh, JJ uh, he gives a, a dying fan a wish, and Cumberbatch uh, um, is he's frustrated he can't reveal his character's name. Don't worry, Cumberbatch, we're frustrated too. We're frustrated with you. <laughs> uh, so we have a sci-fi five and five, and that comes from Raul. That'll be good to hear. Yep, and uh, that's pretty much the show, right? That, that's the menu, yeah. It will be. So we, we, it's a good menu, and I can't wait to talk to Steve a little bit later on tonight. It'll That'll be, be fun. A, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move into our trivia this week. We are back on the train. We have some good loot, and I was thinking we might give our listeners a little bit of choice here as far as what sort of loot they want, right? Sure, okay. Um, so um, here's a description of the two pieces of loot that they can get. Mm-hmm. One is a 100-page special edition of Star Trek. Tell us about this comic. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a hundred page spectacular of Star Trek, uh, next generation. Just, uh, there's some, some different short stories in there. Uh, very enjoyable. And, um, you have something you, you have up. Yeah. To. And the other thing that we are giving away, and we'll give you your choice. One or the other, we have three audiobooks, Star Wars audiobooks that we are going to give away. One is uh, the book one of MedStar Battle Surgeons and book two, uh, MedStar Battle Surgeons. Uh, one's Battle Surgeons, one is Jedi Healer. And so they play with some of the side stories. And the other one is Tales of the Jedi, which goes back into, I believe, the thousand years prior, prior to. Uh, a thousand years prior to uh, the Phantom Menace. Okay, so some real good stories and really good listen. You just recently listened to these. I, I, I listened to um, two of them this past weekend, and um, they're very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah so very well read, very mm-hmm. well done, mm-hmm. and you can get all three of those as one part of the gift, or you can get the hundred stars Star Trek one. And so I guess we're kind of appealing to that whole Star Trek Star Wars fan. Oh no, we're not. We're, gonna, we're Star Trek versus Star Wars. Yeah, don't get the Kai in this. All right, no, let's let's not. <laughs> let's not. Um, but anyway, so what do they have to do in order to earn one of these prizes? Well, there's sort of two iconic sci-fi uh, characters um, that uh, I'm going to ask you. So, what does uh, Walter Bishop? And Brainiac have in common. Ooh, mm-hmm. Walter Bishop and Brainiac. And uh, the answer is, <coughs> well, you well, have to tell us. Tell us. But February fifth sounds like a good date for you to this answer in by. Okay, that'll give you about four weeks. Uh, so if you're a little, little bit behind in the episode, you can still answer it, and you can write in at the Sci-Fi Niner Podcast at gmail.com or call in to our voicemail at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four. 
three. And you must include the, co- the code word, and the code word is... Cortexafan. Yes, which if you are fringy, you will know what that means. Even if you aren't, it's Cortexafan. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's move into our first promo tonight, talking about Fringe. We, of course, are wrapping up our Fringe seasons, and what a way to go but to be listening to this podcast called the Fringe Casting Podcast with Wayne and Dan. Um, they've done a very faithful job every week sharing their thoughts on Fringe. And and here we are um, with two episodes of Fringe to go and uh, probably two to three podcasts from these guys yet before their podcasting for Fringe Casting is... Uh, probably be on hiatus a while at least till the DVDs come out. Okay. So, but uh, you got to make sure you check him out. Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. Here's a promo for the show. Wayne Henderson here, and I am excited to have three of the top Fringe Division agents with us today. So, since we're here, we might as well take advantage of the situation and just talk about about how the Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan podcast is proud to be podcasting about this fifth and final season of the TV show Fringe? Oh, I'm sorry if at this moment when the universe is collapsing I forgot the magic word. For magic word, you meant fringecastingpodcast.com, right? Well, let's not jump to conclusions. I'm not. I don't really know what to say. It's all right, Olivia. You go ahead and fight the Baldies with Etta out on the fringe and I'll remind our friends to check out the fringe casting podcast at fringecastingpodcast.com. Now I'm off to get my co-host Dan out of some Amber. Thank you for your attention and have a nice day and egg sticks. take this first show or should I take it? Sure, I'll have you too. So, All right. In so TV, TV news. TV news. So we'll get in for Revolution's return with an epic new trailer. Um, patience may be a virtue, but doesn't make it any easier to wait for the back half of, of Revolution's first season. Luckily, we have an action-packed new trailer to tide us over. What do we learn? If it looks like we won't have to uh, wait much longer for the series to start paying off its lofty title. Yes, we still have to wait until March 25th for the final 10 episodes, but we'll get them all together with no repeats, and co-creator Erica Kripke promises it'll be worth the layoff. He told TV Line, It gave us the ability to take a breath, look at what we've done, and really analyze it. I think we did a lot of uh, things right, but I feel like we could pick up the pace of the stunning revelations. The second half is its own continuous piece that is bigger and better and even more exciting. If the trailer didn't give it away, Kripke confirmed that the next 10 episodes will pick up inter- immediately after the intense mid-season cliffhanger. Monroe's militia has helicopters, and it will have a massive impact on the series moving forward. So We're going to play the trailer so yep. you can make, draw your own conclusion about it, and we'll find out whether Miles will be watching the second half of Revolution. My partners and I, we set out to invent a device. It inhibits electricity. this be replicated? Yes, sir. On how large a scale? From the very beginning. It's 
It's going to turn off, and it will never, ever turn back on. Dad! Danny's gone. Alicia took him. My brother, Miles, he can get Danny. You can do this. You have to do this. Revolution had a power all its own. This could literally be the most important thing in the world. Which is exactly why we can't let Monroe get his hands on it. The pendant, it was in my pocket. What did you do? Charlie? Danny? Where's my family, Bass? I'm your family. We're brothers. We are not family. You are nothing to me. On March 25th, Miles, doesn't matter. We have power. We have everything. It's time to let everyone know it. Revolution returns. I made a mistake. I need to fix it. I need your help. And everything. We are at war with these rebels. With those choppers. We're not fighting. We're butchering. We'll change. My father could try to stop him. Why should I listen to you? You've done nothing but lie to me. I'm done lying. I'm just not sure if I trust you. Monroe has power. <coughs> Let's get some of our own. Revolution returns March 25th on NBC. So the big question here, Miles, mm-hmm. are you going to be watching Revolution? Oh, I plan on it, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it does look like it's picking up the pace. I think so, too. And, uh, I mean, now that, you know, the, the militia has helicopters, I think I think we're going to see some really good battle scenes, and it'll move the plot along uh, a lot faster, yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. You had some <coughs> – I thought you had some news on on, on – um, Continuum. You want to tell us about that? Because I don't see it here. Well, all all we all all is just an announcement that um, Continuum that had aired in Canada is it's going to debut uh, next Monday on uh, January fourteenth. And we are looking forward to it because this actually looked pretty hot when we saw it. Oh, it did. We were mad. We couldn't see it. We were. We were. We were pretty upset. We Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't see it. So. So very good. Well, so we'll be looking for that, and that'll be, of course, out. So let us know what you thought of Continuum if you're watching it here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Let's move into this next story. This next story is kind of a side story, not really into our movies, but kind of a special interest story, and that is that World of Warcraft players make better employees than Harvard MBAs was a study that came out, which I found interesting because for four years I threw away my, I mean, I put my life into World of Warcraft right, uh, and then stopped playing. And here's what this story says. Sick of battling the relentless stereotype that World of Warcraft players are overweight, lazy, antisocial shut-ins? Here's some new ammunition for you. The prominent researcher and organizers in organizational studies and digital cultures declared WoW gamers to be ideal employees. Why? Because they care. John Seely Brown is a respected expert in the organizational systems, innovation, and organizational learning and computing. His pedigree includes positions in, as an independent co-chair of the uh, De, Deloitte uh, Center of, uh, for the Edge Innovation and Senior Fellow at the Annenberg Center for Communication at USC. This guy knows his stuff. And in a new video for Big Think, he declares avid World of Warcraft gamers to be among the most desirable employees on the planet. I would rather hire a high-level World of Warcraft player than an MBA for Harvard, Brown said. 
Why is a game, a massively multiplayer game, that has maybe 12 million people or more playing like World of Warcraft so important to both the individual level and maybe the corporate level? To understand these massively multiplayer games like World of Warcraft, do not think it's about just gameplay, but look at the social life on the edge of the game. Brown cites various game mechanics within WoW as examples of why. To advance far in the game, players have to be truly passionate and engaged in what they're doing. For example, playing within a guild does not offer a traditional bonus-based structure, and therefore players must advance by learning and researching objects and traits on their own. To go far, you have to apply yourself. Because different people have different interests and goals, the game then self-organizes. It's here, Brown claims, that the powerful organizational structure takes on the root that could also be applied to business. Only passion, only interest works, and what you have to find is a way to turn this guild structure of several hundred people into a knowledge-refining group. So basically, self-organizing, self-organizing to some extent. Um, things start to happen, in particular, groups go off and say, I'm going to study this, I'm going to study this, I'm going to try this idea out. And by tonight, I will have consolidated all these class of ideas about how this particular new magic potion might actually work to reheal you faster, blah, 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 blah. So what have we done is turned this entire kind of social organization into an ideation structure, an idea refinement structure, as more or less self-organizing groups. So according to Brown, building similar structure based on interest-driven ideas and allowing employees to build their own dashboards with which they measure and design their own progress could be the future of the corporate world. And he's right. High-level WoW players already have an edge. And so it is an amazing learning environment with powerful learning tools that I think we in the education world can learn a hell of a lot about and we in the management world can learn a lot about. But it gets back to this notion of passion. It gets back to this notion of curiosity. And it gets back to this notion that this is an interest-driven phenomenon that unleashes exponential learning of the dimension that's almost unimaginable in any other way. There's a video on YouTube, we'll put a link on it. Uh, but gaming, according to him, has helped people become a better employee. So maybe putting on your resume, as far as a hobby, put World of Warcraft on, and that might stand out. It might your get favor. you hired. Right. Wait, what he's saying is not so much, it's not so much a gameplay, it's a way people get <coughs> passionate about it and function as an organizational group to kind of help each other out and to enhance each other. And if they bring that to the workplace, then um, that's a good. Then thing. by all means, mm-hmm. that that seems like a that seems like a good thing, right? Right. So, it sounds good. I'm not going to get into World of Warcraft because it's, it takes too much of my life. Sure, but it's a good idea nonetheless. Definitely interesting perspective on it. <laughs> now let's move into some movie news. JP sent us in. JP Harvey, a listener of ours, sent in this trailer for Pacific Rim. Did you see this trailer? Uh, I, I did see it. Yeah. Well, let me let's play it, and then we'll talk a little bit about Pacific Rim and and what we're and what we're thinking about this trailer because it's kind of interesting. Chaos is spreading around. Creatures the as tall as buildings are seen. thought alien life would come from the stars, but it came from deep beneath the sea, a portal between dimensions and the Pacific Ocean. Something out there had discovered us. They counted on the humans to hide, to give up, to fail. Operations. 
gypsy danger. They never considered our ability to stand, to endure, that we would rise to the challenge. Pilots, ready to connect. Let's go fishing. Two pilots engaged in neural bridge. Ready to activate the Jaeger in three, two, one. of our hope, at the end of our time, we have chosen to believe in each other. Today we face the monsters that are at our door. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. So, I don't know. What do you think, Miles? Well, seeing giant robots and monsters fight is always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's interesting. Mm. I mean, nonetheless, it's interesting. You know, I'm a little bit kind of... I don't know. Well, we, we've kind of seen this before. Um, I, I feel like we have, too. A little bit Godzilla-ish, you know, isn't it? Godzilla-ish and... Maybe little Transformers with the giant robots. Not saying it's not going to be good or entertaining. It's just we, we've, 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 we've explored this theme before, but I don't know if this will be something I see in theaters, but maybe it's a rental. Yeah, and, my, and I, I think it's probably, more, it's probably closer to what I'm thinking here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, let's move into uh, the acclaimed sci-fi game series Ghost Recon coming to the big screen. Did you ever play any of the any of the Tom Clancy stuff? Um, no, I can't say I have. Uh, but you watched Tom Clancy stuff like Red October and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, some of all fears and stuff like that. Well, do you want to read this story, Mark? Sure. So comic books have ruled the big screen the past few years, but it looks like uh, video games are are wanting to make a, a strong push back in 2013 and beyond. The latest future set action series Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, which is based on a military special ops team. Ubisoft Motion Pictures chief executive uh, Jean-Julien Barnet confirmed the LA Times that the film development is underway and they can start shopping a, a, a pitch for studios this year. The Future War franchise has been kicking around for more than a decade and has evolved from the original PlayStation 2 edition to the latest 2024 set sequel on Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. The franchise has spawned about a dozen sequels, but there's no word on exactly what the storyline of the film will follow. Missions typically center around a special ops team as they go on a super secret mission, steeped in danger and political intrigue. Not a bad setup for a film. Ghost Recon joins fellow uh, Ubisoft properties uh, Splinter Cell and Assassin's Creed as currently being in development for the big screen. The company was smartly opted to attracting big stars for the proposed uh, features with Michael Fassbender attached to Assassin's Creed and Tom Hardy and talks in Splitter Cell. No word on who they're trying to tap for Ghost Recon, 
less likely to go at if they started to anchor it. To get a, a feel for how the franchise might translate to live action, the studio created a pretty great short film prequel, Ghost Recon Alphas, for a latest edition of the game. Well, let's play just part of it, and then we'll talk about what we think about it. Okay. And actually, I'm just going to play part of it, because it's 23 minutes long. <laughs> so, But we'll play just a segment of mm-hmm. it, just get a feel for it. Um, so you never played the games? No, I, 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 no, I can't say I've played any of these yeah, games, yeah. no. Starts off in Russia. Дмитрий, ты чего сегодня нам привез? Братва, все та же каша. You knew who I could see playing this movie, The Rock. Oh yeah, he could definitely. Yeah, he definitely. He could definitely. He's not Russian, but uh, mm-hmm. I think he could. It'd be helpful if they knew Russian. Or at least to put subtitles. Yeah, well, they don't have subtitles. Here. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you get a you get a feel here for what what it's about, and this is if you want to watch the whole thing, I will embed it into the show notes so you can actually watch it. And uh, I have really enjoyed the the recon games, the Call of Duty games, and it has this feel for it. And so I'm really, I'm really, uh, I am I'm, I'm looking for it. I'll, this is one of those I'll watch, maybe not in the theaters, but I will watch it. Mm-hmm. But well, let's move into something that might uh, be a little bit more sci-fi than that. And this is rumor of the day. Is the big screen Justice League roster, is this it? Well, let's see. On this poster, we have Green Lantern, Flash, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and uh, Martian Manhunter. They would be a classic lineup if we had it. Mm-hmm. And here's the story. We still have no solid information on Warner Brothers' proposed Justice League flick, which, by the way, I think would actually fly if they did it well. Uh, of course they would. But new rumor breaks down which famed DC heroes are expected to make the cut. So how is the roster shaping up? 
The news comes by an, an anonymous tipster over at Comic Book News, so take this all with a heaping grain of salt, but it's always fun to speculate. Judging by this report, DC hopes to include most of the heavy hitters to carry on the Man of Steel's Henry Cavill as Superman, Ryan Reynolds' version of Green Lantern. Newcomers would include Wonder Woman, who would have to be introduced in a standalone movie currently in development, The Flash, Martin, Manhunter, the, uh, the Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, and Batman, likely a rebooted version. Here is the alleged character bio breakdown. Superman, essentially the same character from Man of Steel and Zack Snyder is consulting regarding writing the character. Batman, the strategist of the group, Batman doesn't really want to be involved with these superpowered beings and he considers himself too powerful, easily the most complex written. Wonder Woman, she has only been in the man's world a few short months. Wonder Woman script Michael Goldberg is developing, uh, will be set in the Justice League movie. Green Lantern will be Ryan Reynolds' character from Green Lantern movie, but will be freshly written with a more serious tone. And that would probably be good for him. Flash, the most popular hero in the civilian eyes who loves media attention, but when called upon, is very serious. Um, the Martian Manhunter, Alien, who has lived on Earth's secret for over 100 years who has knowledge of the dark of dark seed and his reign. Aquaman will be the King of Atlantis who has a key role in the film. The character Darkseid will reportedly be a baddie in the film and will include a heavy hitter presence a la S.H.I.E.L.D. in Marvel's Avengers to help ground in reality. So we'd actually buy this? Not really. That big screen version of the Green Lantern was a mess and did so poorly that Warner Brothers quickly pulled the plug on a proposed sequel. If anything, the studio will likely want to distance Justice League from it, not set it up as part of the canon. Plus, if they want to establish Wonder Woman with a standalone movie before Justice League 2015, it needed to be on a much faster track than it seems to be now. Is all this possible? Sure, but unlikely. What approach do you think DC will take with the big screen Justice League? I think they're just going to release the movie and jump with it. Why do we need these standalone movies to kind of introduce the superheroes that we know and love? Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, a Wonder Woman movie or... um a Flash movie or, well, Martian Manhunter movie might be interesting. But they, uh, you know, they all would be interesting if they had time to develop them, like they're doing with the Marvel series. But the, if they're thinking of having a Justice League movie by 2015, um, it's not going to happen. No, I totally doubt it. Right. Uh, I I am looking forward to a Justice League movie. Oh, but, I would too. Yeah. But uh, and I would probably and I would go see it because mm-hmm. it'd probably be well done. Cross my cross my fingers, right? Right, right, right. But. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I buy this guy's theory, but, you know, I mean, obviously all of it kind of appeals to my, like, ooh, ah, mm-hmm. ooh, ah. <laughs> you know, I, I saw Green Lantern. I, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it, it, it's it's not as good as some of the other superhero movies that have been out there, but, um, but yeah, it it definitely got panned by the critics. <laughs> it, it definitely did. It, it, definitely it, did. it wasn't, didn't do great at the box office, so. Well, let's move into this week in Star Trek, Miles. All right, so in this week in the twist... J.J. Abrams grants a dying fan's wish to see Star Trek too early. Sometimes we could do it really heartwarming things with this internet gizmo. A few days ago, word spread via social media of a dying man who wanted to, nothing more than to see Star Trek in, into darkness before he went. Today we got the word that he got his wish, courtesy of J.J. Abrams. This tear-jerking little saga began on Christmas Day when a uh, Reddit user known as uh, uh, Ideat posted a plea on behalf of his friend Dan. 
According to the Post, Dan is 41 and suffering from two kinds of cancer. At this point, it's only a matter of time for him, and he wanted nothing more than to see Star Trek Into Darkness before he died. Knowing that he had, has, according to the Post, weeks to live, he, he, he bought a ticket to see The Hobbit, an unexpected journey, in an effort to at least catch the 10 minutes of the Trek footage itself before uh, he was hospitalized on the day of the screening and had to give up his seat. Last night, the original Post read like this. My friend is dying... We'd like to see the new Star Trek movie. Please help. At the at the least, uh, I'd love to get to the front page for something else to see. Please, word spread fast through read it, and beyond. The, and somehow the story got, got to Paramount Pictures and Abrams himself. Before long, Abrams was calling Dan's wife, and just days after the original posting, a special screening of the almost finished flick was arranged for Dan. According to his friend, he loved it. We still have a few months before we get to see the flick for ourselves, but even if we all end up hating it, we can at least relish the warm feeling that we got from hearing the news. And indeed, the warm feeling we did get. So we're sad to say that uh, Dan did pass away. But I think it was two days after viewing it, right? Yeah. So, but uh, I just want to say, I mean, I, I think this is, a, this is a class act from J.J. Uh, Abrams and Paramount. For, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't, you can't argue them honoring this dying man's wish. What a great gesture. So, um, you know... Uh, <coughs> So, yeah, just, just kudos to J.J. for doing it. Yeah, big props off. Mm-hmm. And uh, it definitely makes you want to go see the movie even more. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm d- dying to see the movie, yeah. Yeah, anyways, regardless, mm-hmm. regardless. Well, you had another story that came across. Well, this is this is definitely related to the movie also. <coughs> Excuse me. We're all coughing here. Yeah, we're all getting We're, we're sick here at the diner. Don't come eat here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Cumberbatch is annoyed, as we are, about the Trek 2 baddie mystery. With the director J.J. Abrams' penchant for secrecy, the mystique around Benedict Cumberbatch's mysterious Star Trek Into Darkness baddie has d- dominated the headlines, probably garnering more attention than the movie itself. So what does Cumberbatch think of all the wild speculation? Not surprisingly, he's getting kind of tired of it. Cumberbatch's character is a Starfleet officer-turned-terrorist named John Harrison, though it wasn't, hasn't killed speculation that he's secretly a version of a famed original series baddie Khan. Speaking with Entertainment Weekly, Cumberbatch said he'd much rather talk about the actual movie while making the press rounds. It's achingly irritating. Believe me, I'd rather talk about the role and the fantastic story and all the things J.J. has come up with. And then everyone would be excited about the film as I am. But then, of course, I think I would be on the phone call coming... But then, of course, I think I would be on a phone call coming from J.J.'s office. Mystique is a rare thing, isn't it? There There aren't that many enigmas in this modern world. Myself, I quite enjoyed seeing Super 8 and not knowing the story and then becoming mesmerized by it. But we live in a modern world which is a place of oversaturation. Now people, especially Trekkies, want to know everything before they witness it themselves. It's, it's strange to me. I think of it, of it as a kid having a box of chocolates and not knowing what's good for them. They eat three and they keep eating as they get sick and the candy is gone. So what do you think of the speculation over Cumberbatch's character? Does it help build buzz or is it just finally starting to get old? Both. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think the press is a good thing. I think the interest in the movie is still strong. And so um, I think that can only be a good thing. We have you know about five months before the movie opens. So the fact that people are still talking about it and, and trying to pry any kind of information from the actors is a good thing. Uh, there's an there's a interview with Zoe Saldana. She said she'd have to give a kidney if she revealed anything. Right, right. But um, I, I also, I mean, I, I'm dying to know who Cumberbatch's character is. But at the same time, I think J.J. Abrams is being very smart as, as far as keeping a tight lid on uh, Oh, absolutely, on absolutely. Everything. You don't want to give this away. You no. Really don't. Um, 
So very good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for bringing us this week in Star Trek. You're welcome. And uh, we are about to go into our interview with Steve Wilson. But before we do, we want to give you our, our props to a last promo that is from our good friends at the Gatecast, mm-hmm. Jarek and Company, who are up to what season now? Well, um, Mike and Alan are na- are still uh, working through season eight. Um, in the last couple of episodes, they decided to do something a little different. They... Um, they they reviewed uh, an episode of MacGyver with, uh, you know... <laughs> was it the one with Christopher Judge? It was with, with, with him in it. Because <laughs> if you're going to do that in the Gatecast, it has to be that. That, and, and, and they reviewed the Simpsons episode where Richard D. Anderson uh, guest starred as himself on it, and it was very funny. And in this week's episode, um, Michael Shanks guest starred in the show Burn Notice. It's not a show I watch, but uh, they reviewed that. So they reviewed shows where the other actors have been on, so... But hopefully they'll get back to reviewing. Well, you know, we always scene. love shows. When we when we love to show when we see actors that have been on. I mean, think of all the things that Summer Glau's appeared in. We're like, ooh. Oh, yes. We definitely jump at that. Yeah, absolutely. We should start a Summer, Summer Glau podcast. Okay. <laughs> You're up for it. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> We'll talk after the show, Miles. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, thank you. Uh, we love the Gatecast. If, you, mm-hmm. if you're into Stargate and are missing some of the good shows that were on Stargate, this is the podcast for you. They take kind of a humorous look at it. They're right. honest about it. Have some fun with it. Oh, I should say they're they're, they're uh, also reviewing Stargate Atlantis. So they're, they're now at the place in the show where Atlantis and or, or SG-1 and Atlantis overlap. So they're rotating, um, you know, rot- rotating their their podcast now. So, so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And here is a promo. The myths of a thousand worlds tell of a time when darkness enveloped the galaxy, an age before the coming of the fifth race. Tales and legends of gods that could crush worlds but with a gesture, and vast armies to enslave the free peoples of our realms. Armies whose existence spanned hundreds of generations, yet long gone. And we ask ourselves, what if these myths have a kernel of truth? One thing is known, those who now claim to be descended from the fifth race are not eager to look back into the darkness, but events have conspired against them as long-lost worlds outside of the gate systems have been discovered. The first artifacts and data have been studied, and now is the time for the true story to be told. These are the people of the fifth race, before they became saviors of the galaxy. Watch, listen, and comprehend. Then spread the lessons we learned from the people of the Earth and its Stargate command. Engage the translation matrix. Matrix ready. Input search phrase. Gatecast, a Stargate podcast. Gatecast implemented. Translation and interpretation engaged for Stargate archives. Audio format. Enhance, please. Gatecast additional data located. Gatecast.co.uk Also under the heading Facebook, Google+, Twitter and iTunes. Gatecast. By fans, for fans. Stargate forever. Tonight we're delighted to be talking with one of uh, the friends we've made over the last couple of years because of our relationship with the great people of the Farpoint Convention. He not only is one of the founders of the Farpoint uh, Convention, but he's also a writer and a podcaster as well. We've had him on once before, and we're delighted to be talking with him again. Tonight we're talking with Mr. Steve Wilson. Steve, welcome, and thank you for coming. Thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. 
Absolutely. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's awesome to have you back. And, you know, we are like a month and a half out from the 20th anniversary of Farpoint. Can you believe it, Steve? It's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, I'm only 27. How can this con be so old? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Can you believe it? 20 years, 20 years this con has been running. What What a milestone for you guys. So 20 years, 20 years of Farpoint. When you started this thing, did you ever imagine it would be 20 years? Um, I, I certainly did. I hoped so. Uh, when I started it, I was incredibly young and naive, and I thought we would have, like, Farpoint London and Far, Far, Farpoint Stad by now. <laughs> we're still just Farpoint. But, no, I, I really hoped it was going to be a, a longstanding tradition. Right, right. We well, you know, you do it kind of a disservice to say we're just Farpoint. I mean, it, it, it is just Farpoint, but it's become, it's become, for the people that come to Farpoint, in my understanding, it has become so much more than just Farpoint to them. Now, wouldn't you say, Steve? I, I sure hope so. I, I think so. I and mean, of course it's important to me because right. I started it. But, right. Um, I, I do think it's, you know, we, we, we came up with the, the nickname Fandom's Family Reunion for it. Um, and that's really how we look at it. It's, it's, we're not the biggest con. We're not the, uh, we're not the con where all the deals get brokered, but, but we're the con where the fans can come and really be fans and really just enjoy themselves and their, you know, each other's company. Well, for me, it'll be great to see people that I, I maybe get, maybe get a chance to see maybe twice a year. Right. And, but it's, but it, like it's, like you said, a family reunion. It's, it's going to be great to reconnect with, uh, many of these people that we only get to see, you know, a couple times out of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, Seems like between that, Balticon and probably Shorely, those are the three uh, core conventions that seem like a Baltimore. There are some bigger ones that come through, but these seem to be one of the ones that are smaller, and Farpoint definitely has this real mm-hmm. family feel to it. Oh, definitely. So, um, well, uh, Steve, what is, can you tell us a little bit before we get into some more about Farpoint? What is going on in your world? I mean, you're, you're, you're a podcaster, you're a writer. What is going on in, 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 in the world that you obviously aren't busy in? A total and complete emotional breakdown. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it, it's it's been crazy busy. Um, I've got, um, of course, Firebringer Press, my publishing company, and we're just getting ready to put out our sixth book at Farpoint, uh, By Your Side by Phil Junta. Um, and I am also trying to branch out our ebook line. Uh, all of our books so far have been paper and ebook, but I want to do some ebook exclusives because that ebooks are exploding. I mean, really taking off, conquering the market share. And, and so I've been very busy trying to prepare some ebooks. Um, and while I'm at it, my old friend and editor, Bob Greenberger, started up a project called Redeus, uh, a, a series of short story collections about the mythical gods returning and taking over the world again. And so I'm writing for that. We're doing our second volume. Uh, it should be out in May, and I just completed a, a, a story for that. Well, at least so, it gave you at least it gave you a little bit more time this time to write the story. Oh my God, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first one, what you wrote that in like a week? I don't know. Uh, ten, ten days, tw- I think twenty-one days, start to finish editing everything. They gave us twenty-one days. <laughs> so this time, I actually had like three months. So that was great. <laughs> right. Right. Anyways, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no all right. Um, so uh, that's going on, and of course, um, you know the the the, the work life that's there, and um, 
So what do you do? What What is your day job? I'm sorry? What is your day job? My day job. I'm director of technology for the uh, local fire department. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. Go on. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much. And then, and then Farpoint's anniversary. We've got a lot going on there. So obviously this is like a, a big busy time of the year for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the podcast, of course, the we're, the weekly podcast. So, oh, and you and you and you're doing that as well. And somehow you have time to breathe, sleep. Uh, somehow, yeah. Every now and then, just maybe once a day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we kind of hinted around, Steve, at some of the uh, history you have with Farpoint and being one of the founders of it. Can you tell us just again, just to give us a brief recap of? how Farpoint came about and what your involvement in that was. Um, brief recap was we had been doing cons uh, in Baltimore since 1984. Um, we were Baltimore's second Star Trek convention. Of course, it had shore leave. And we started a con called Clipper Con, which migrated to October and came Octo- became October Trek. And uh, we just... Uh, the, the, the people that had been leading us off, heading us up for, for uh, nine years, I think, were tired and wanted to stop. And some of us wanted to continue, and I kind of wound up holding the ball. <laughs> okay. All right. And so uh, and then I assume we're at, what, it was probably 1993 you had your first Nin- con? 93 was our very first con. Um, I had wanted to, uh, to just book George Takei and have a very small, intimate con. Uh, and the committee talked me into John Delancey as well. Um, and so we were all set to go. And then our chairman quit and I had to take over. And then George Takei quit and I had to find fill-in guests. So George got a movie deal was what happened there. Right. And so, I mean, that's always kind of the understanding when you get guests that sometimes that happens. Yeah, it, it does. It does. So, it is. Uh, but yeah, and it's just been ever since then we've been – kind of going we haven't seen any reason to stop um and uh, you know we've had some lean years and some crazy years but it's it's uh it's it's been fun yeah and are and are you is your role still as a chair for the con uh i'm operations manager i'm, I'm kind of a chair our chairs are sharon van blarkham and sandy zier tyler uh, my wife renee and i are the operations managers which means we don't have to sign the checks, but we get to tell everybody what to do. <laughs> very nice. Very Good nice. To be. Very nice. Well, you know, with 20 years of history, there has to be some some funny stories or some memorable moments that kind of stick out to you or maybe even some memorable guests. I mean, I'm sure all the guests you've had have had some great highlights, but what are some of the things from the past 20 years that kind of stick out for you? Well, of course, um, Probably uh, William Campbell, uh, who actually only wound up being a guest for us once, but the late William Campbell played Trelane on the Squire of Gothis. And um, I had interviewed Bill for Starlog. Uh, He had come to a lot of our conventions in years past. But when I did that first bar point, and I was very nervous about the job I was doing, and he came in as a guest, and he was just the most gracious and, and gregarious person in the world. I just very quickly realized, wow, this is the nicest person on the planet. And he and I became very good friends, um, talked constantly uh, in, in the years that followed. Whenever I was in a jam, I called him and said, Bill, what do I do? Um, 
you know, anything guest related. He helped me get other guests, uh, helped us, helped us get charitable donations. So, um, a, a lot of what the energy that, that let me keep going with Farpoint came from, from working with people like Bill. Hmm. Um, let's see, our, our other first guests that year were John Delancey and June Lockhart, and they were, you know, both incredible. Um, Farpoint hasn't had many guests, I would say, were unenjoyable or were dogs. Um, they, um, uh, they've just all been, and we prided ourselves on that. Uh, and we do ask, you know, we ask around the community, hey, you, you had so-and-so, what do you think of that person? And, uh, and we listen if somebody says, well, they're not very fan-friendly. They're not very, we try to get the people we know are going to really show their audience a good time. Right. Well, that, and I think it's important if you're looking for something that's uh, a family-friendly con and it becomes important that they're interacting with the guests in that way. Yeah. yeah. And you learn you, – you, you mentioned before we started the stories and what I've learned. My second year doing this, uh, Sequest was really big. I don't know if anybody even remembers Sequest anymore. You can stream it on Netflix. I remember yeah, Sequest. Yeah. yeah. Um, Science fiction uh, underwater show with Roy Scheider. It ran three years, and it had a, uh, a teen idol star named Jonathan Brandis. Well, in the second year of Farpoint, in the second year of Sequest, I booked Jonathan Brandis, and I thought, this is going to kill. He's going to be the biggest guest ever. He's on the cover of every magazine. Uh, the teenage girls are in love with him. And we got an okay turnout. Um, but what, and, and some people did come just to see him, and he was a fantastic guest. But I learned that that overall fandom, being a megastar on the cover of TV Guide, doesn't necessarily translate to f science fiction fandom being excited about you. Mm. Um, I, I really found out, wow, they would have been a lot more excited if I brought Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So someone that may not be on the cover of, of, of a magazine, but yet have a long-standing long relationship with the sci-fi community. Exactly, and that's that's you, you you learn that there's there's some uniqueness about about the community. Um, trying to think who other of our guests, who else really stands out? Of course, George Takei, and he's come a few times, and right. and George is just a national treasure, a world treasure. Uh, he he's just this fount of positive energy. Uh, we really wanted him for our twentieth anniversary, but uh, he is doing a show on Broadway. He's producing a show on Broadway, and okay. he's very excited about that. So he he just absolutely couldn't do it. Right. He seems busier than ever these days. He is, and I think it's great. I think it's great mm -hmm. because if anybody deserves recognition, it's George Takei. Um, and I guess the one other name I'd throw out, he was our guest three times. No, I'm going to throw out two. Sorry. Among our weapons, um, Harv Bennett. Uh, legendary producer saved the Star Trek franchise so that we it lived to have all these spinoffs. Right, uh, he was with us three times, uh, and and he um, came to us because he wanted to know if fandom was still alive in the 21st century. He thought maybe it had died and become completely commercial, and uh, somebody told him try this little con in Baltimore, and he did. And he just kept coming back. And he said we were the only convention he would do. We were his convention home. Oh, uh, nice. Made, with the you oh, know what? Uh, Farpoint was one of It was very emotional because he got up the first time he was there and he, he talked about how uh, 
it renewed his his faith in people to be at this convention and how this convention was everything fandom should be. And I'm standing backstage practically in tears because this is hard. Bennett talking about my little convention. Right, right. <laughs> and I went up to him when he came off stage. We hadn't even really met. I went up to him and I said, you know, uh, um, you may be overwhelmed by what you're seeing here, but this is all here because you made it happen. You, right. you are the reason I am here because right. you were the one who invigorated me to be involved in these things. Wow. So that, uh, that, that was very cool. Um, Harv is uh, Harv's getting older and he's had some health issues, um, so he hasn't been able to come back and see us again. But uh, I did. I dedicated my last book to him. I sent him a copy, and I got a really sweet letter back from him. So that was that was really really special. Awesome, awesome. Steve. I just wanted to say that uh, Farpoint got me back into going to cons. Um, the last con I had been before Farpoint was uh, back in ninety nine, no ninety eight, and it was um, in Valley Forge, uh, Pennsylvania. But then I think it was two thousand six. I, I read about Farpoint and. Mr. Benefit was, was, was a guest and, uh, I just enjoyed his panel, uh, immensely. And, um, what was, what I found different about, I mean, I, I don't know, just, uh, about coming back, coming to far point was I love the intimacy, um, of it. Um, the fact that maybe it's a smaller con, you know, that didn't bother me at all. In fact, it, 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 in, in many ways it has its, uh, pluses that way. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been coming back ever since. I'm very glad to hear that. I think um, one of the other things about guests is it's always it's not always about big names and it's not always about big numbers. Um, I kind of took a hit one year. I booked Michael Ansara, who, mm-hmm. who uh, was uh, Kang the Klingon and kind of did everything. I Dream of Jeannie. He was married to Barbara Eden. Um, played in lots and lots of different uh, TV shows and movies. And um, I took kind of a hit from the, the committee when I booked him because they're like, Oh great. You had lunch with some guy that, that, you know, you used to be on TV and you like him. So you booked him and blah, 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 blah. But when he got there and people were in the presence of Michael Ansara, everybody was like, Oh my God, what a classy man. Oh, what a, you know, a Hollywood, a TV legend. What, mm. you know, and I think the lesson there, I don't mean to brag cause I was the one that got him. Um, I think the lesson there was there's, Texture matters too. Um, setting that atmosphere of, 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 like people said, classiness in history. Uh, mm. That's very important to to running a successful con. You got to have heart, and mm. I think we do. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, there has to be apart from the guests. There have to be. There has to be some stories are apart from the guests that have kind of stuck out to you over the year that have made certain far points maybe stick out. Do you have any of those? Well, of course the one everybody points out was the, the, the year of the blizzard. The uh, snowmageddon. Yep. Three, uh, <laughs> Saturday at two o'clock, it started snowing and it stopped sometime around Thursday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not much of an exaggeration. We got, we got 20, <coughs> no, we got more than two feet of snow, 30 some inches of snow. Um, people tried to leave the hotel Saturday and go home and the state troopers sent them back. Um, they just, you know, so the whole state of Maryland was closed and we were trapped in the hotel. A lot of us until Wednesday. Oh, nice. And, um, so 
and it was it was wonderful. It was fantastic. The hotel made all the rooms half price because we were stuck and they knew it, and we had to eat their food and pay them, and they knew it. Right. And um, we had the we had all the the guests, the authors, everybody there stuck with us, and we had an incredible time. We just kept the programming going. We showed movies, and we. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was, um, that was, that was extremely memorable. Um, was that the law? Lo- that's probably the longest far point ever ran. <laughs> ran from Friday until Wednesday. Uh, um, with programming most of those days. Um, I guess the other memorable year for me was we, we kind of at the last minute got thrown out of our hotel in 1998 and we okay. had to move to another hotel and we had, um, severely reduced attendance. We had had like 1,300 people the year before and we were down to 400 and some. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was a hit and that was a challenge. That, that was a, oh my God, are we even going to survive? Are we going to be in debt? Um, it was a really hectic, crazy time. Um, but it was a really good feeling. It was a small con, but those people really felt loyalty to each other. We really felt like we got to keep our con alive. Right. Uh, for a few years after that, our slogan, everything ended with Farpoint lives because right. it was in doubt. <laughs> right. Wow. Hey, hey, was that just a, um, was that a hotel thing or what happened that year? Uh, we never quite found out, uh, the, the hotel we used for a lot of years, the Hunt Valley Inn is a wonderful facility. But it's been a training hotel, and it changes management a lot. And some of the management just didn't like the idea of all these science fiction fans uh, running around in their in their hallways. And, you know, they were afraid of vandalism, and they were afraid of – I don't know what they were afraid of, but uh, we kind of had a bad name. And so they, they kind of tossed us, tossed us out that one year. Um, they told us that they had a big event booked and they couldn't accommodate us. But I later learned from inside sources that the hotel sat dark that weekend. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, but that's they a... back next year. They asked us back. So I was like, okay, I guess we proved our point. <laughs> right. Right. But you, how long have you been at the Crown Plaza then? We've, this will be our fourth year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it all starts to run together, but I think this is our fourth year, if not our fifth. Um, and that was a move, uh, that was a lot about us realizing Hunt Valley's Inn is a premium facility and it was getting really expensive. And it's also really big for us. Right. We are a smaller con. Right. And seven to 800 people. And we rattled around at the Hunt Valley Inn. And so it was just kind of like, Hey, this place has all the space we need. It doesn't feel empty when we're in it. And ever since we moved there, people have stopped saying, "Wow, the con's underattended this year." Right? Because whenever we always gained in numbers, except that one horrible year, we were always going up. But people always had this idea that we were less attended each year, and it wasn't true. And right. they've stopped saying that, which is great. Oh well, that, that's that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, hey, so as you. As you look at Farpoint, we talked about some of the things you've learned about running a con. Uh, where would you like to see Farpoint head in the future? I want us to continue to be what I kind of think we are, and that that's a, uh, a 
almost a Shangri-La of fandom, almost a retreat where we preserve a heritage. Fandom has a hell of a history. Right. Um, encouraging creativity and of having its own culture. And some of the bigger cons, well, they're wonderful and they're exciting and they're fun. They're very commercially driven. And they're not about preserving fandom culture. They're about making money. Mm-hmm. And I think in that atmosphere, it can be difficult for a, a, a fandom identity, a fandom culture to survive. I'd like to see us continue to be the people that um, remember there's something very, very special about what we do. And mm. you know, it's, it's not just about collecting autographs and shaking hands. Um, it's, 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 it really is a family. Mm. And uh, I'd like to see us continue to, to grow that um, and encourage people to, to become writers and filmmakers and podcasters and mm. um, that's that, that that that's where I want to see us go. Yeah, and I think that would be I think that's a wonderful way to put it too. Uh, it includes this idea of I like the idea of preserving fandom's culture. What mm-hmm. what do you think about that, Miles? No, I I I agree. I mean it that it there is an emphasis on 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 that. Um, you know what Steve says, right? Is the big cons. I mean, as great as they are, I mean they may they'll bring in the big names. It, it's it, it it is more about the making the money. I mean, uh, so um, and then I like the idea of a retreat of fans to come. Yeah, I, and I like that way. That was that was a term that kind of hit me. This idea that this is a fans retreat because you know you, you go to a big con, um, you know they kind of the, the way they run the autograph lines, um, they, they 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 get you in, they get you out, and and, and at some point you have to do the smaller cons too, but. It just feels a lot, you know, you, you, a lot less pressure when you're on an autograph line. It's a lot, it's a little more laid back and relaxed, and you can, you know, if if the line isn't that long at the, that point, um, you could have a, you know, you could have a conversation with a guest for you know a couple minutes, yeah. or just you know, you so you have some that one-on-one FaceTime, which is I've always appreciated. Yeah. Well, I think one of my my early memories of Farpoint. I, again, I've only been going to Farpoint a few years now. Uh, compared to you, which have gone a few more times than I have, one of my early memories is of Lee Arenberg just wandering the dealer's hall. Mm-hmm. You know, just totally accessible to everyone and not really caring. I, I don't think people really knew who Lee Arenberg was. Maybe that was part of it. But, you know, he, he had done Pirates and he mm-hmm. had done some other things. And, and now, of course, Once Upon a Time. But he was very accessible, very, very, you know, just kind of into experiencing the con himself. Right. Uh, and it was one of the most memorable interviews we did because we never got to ask a question. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> no, he just kind of took the conversation and he kind of sort of just took us to school as far as how things were working in Hollywood. Right <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. was which was great. Don't get me wrong. It was a, yeah, you know, we had I, a good interview with him. It was a great talk. I'll, I'll, you know, it'll always be up right there with one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. Lee is definitely one of the most interesting people alive. Um, I, I've, I've closed the bar with Lee. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I mean, that was uh, just a. Uh, so we talk about being accessible. We talk about I mean, a fans retreat. It really, fe- it really feels that way. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, Steve. Just so you know, that's the way it feels like for me. And I'm, I'm fairly new. Oh. And I've again the cons. I've I've been limited in my con experience. I haven't gone to any of the big major cons. But you know, I've been to Shirley. I've been to Balticon, and each have their own flair to them. And they're each different in their own right. I mean, Balticon being more of a writer-focused con, and then uh, 
shortly being a bit bigger. But you know, I, I like the I, I do like what Farpoint has to offer as far as the intimacy goes. And one of the things I always enjoy is the tables that kind of sit out in the middle of everything by the dealer's room. I mean, you just have people just congregating there throughout the day, and it's people that haven't seen each other since the last con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. we actually that that's something that I, I I'm the table Nazi. Um, <laughs> a lot of emphasis on and effort into planning and making sure that there is open space, um, that there are places that people can just sit down and talk and, and you know, be people right. and be comfortable. Um, I don't want it to feel like a cattle drive. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I like cluttered hallways and, and you know, I, I, I want, I, I'm glad you mentioned the tables because that's, that's one of the really nice touches that we, we couldn't do in, in our other facility. Yeah. So. Well, and, and they do something like that at Shirley, but it's kind of, they're a little, it's kind of tucked away in the corner of a con that you have to kind of seek out and it's just not It's a as real fun. high traffic area. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, uh. So it's just, it's just very, it's very comfortable and very relaxed. And maybe that's the way I would put it. And, and I like every, everything is all in one level. I mean, um, I mean, I like the Marriott, um, but it's on two levels here. You know, at, at the at Crown, the Crown Plaza, it's all, it's all there. I mean, you really except, can't get lost. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's. I mean, yeah, you 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 could get lost in the, uh, you know, at the Marriott. Yeah, so like, where's Salon B? Well, it's either down this hall or down this hall, and that's it. Take and the you elevator to go. You know, yeah, but, so. But. Either way you go, you'll eventually get there. Right, but, right, right. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is huge. And, of course, that, that's, my, that's my convention home. And Shirley was one of my first conventions. Um, and, and, and they're a blast, too. You know? yep, that's, yep, yep. And that's part of the thing. Farpoint is there to celebrate. We don't consider ourselves anybody's competition. We're, right. we're there to say, hey, being a fan and going to conventions is great. And, and we're just starting off the year for you. Right, right, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, we, we do have to hit on before we go here. What is going on? Twentieth anniversary of Farpoint. You guys have got to have some big things planned this year. Can you tell us a look? Well, can you give us any hints? I, I think we do. Yeah, I, I can sure try. Um, we of course we've got our guest line. We've we've got uh, uh, Benita um, Frederici and her husband uh, John Billingsley. We've got Felicia Day. We've got uh, Rob Paulson, the, the wonderful voice actor, the, who's the voice of the brain. Um, we've got Lee Ehrenberg again. And then our, our, our real big newcomer this year, uh, John's in, John Billingsley's a newcomer, of course, and, and Rob. But our uh, other big newcomer is um, Giancarlo, Giancarlo Esposito from Revolution and from Breaking Bad. So we've got some, some big guests. We've got 47 authors I think coming, we've got, I don't even know how many podcasters. Um, and, um, we're doing some, uh, putting together some video tributes. You know, we've got 20 years, 19 years worth of far points on, on video. Um, so we're putting together some video tributes. Uh, there's going to be a live, uh, a live play. We haven't had a play in a while, so there's going to be a play. And of course the, the Friday night opening ceremonies where just about all of our actors, I'm not sure about Giancarlo yet, just about all of our actors are going to get up and do a, a a radio show with us with Prometheus, with Prometheus Radio Theater. Yeah, so um, just lots of exciting stuff going on, and 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 workshops, and the masquerade, and and <laughs> it, it, it's going to be in a lot of ways. It's 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 going to be a far point on the same with the same uh, feel and the same construction as all the others, but I'm thinking a lot higher level of excitement and just some nice touches and a few extra guests this year. Mm, 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you guys are still doing the charity auction that you guys always do? Oh, of course, of course. Oh, I, I, yeah, let, let, let me put in a plug. Of course, our charities are um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, again, uh, keeping the Internet free. And uh, a young lady named Jessica Smith. We're raising money for Jessica. Uh, she's the family member of uh, Lee Warren, who is our, our wonderful DJ for Vic's Place and 10 Forward. Uh, Jessica is uh, battling cancer, and you know the family has a lot of expenses. And um, we've just we're pulling in a couple of items. He's not one of our official charities. Pulling in a couple of items for our very dear friend Peter David. Mm, yeah, uh, I don't know if all your listeners know suffered a stroke the day after Christmas. Yeah, um, and uh, just, you know, in in many ways uh, a devastating uh, occurrence. But he's rallying, according to his wife Kathleen. He's uh, he's taken steps, uh, got up and walked on his own a few steps, um, was able to, to to sit down and write. He edited an issue of X Factor the other day, which he was really excited about. Hmm. So uh, we don't know if Peter will actually be at Farpoint. I was going to ask you. Yeah, we're going to raise some money for for Peter. We're hoping to have some really special auction items for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, I think that's one of the special things that uh, many, many of the cons do is to contribute to charity. And it, one of the things that I think that has impressed me about fandom, and especially the cons that have been a part of them for the past couple of years, is how much each con seems to have an affinity to helping charities out. And so it's good to see Farpoint you know, also being a part of that. Oh, absolutely. So. It's one of the big things we do. Yeah, so the con runs, give us the dates. When does a, when does a con start and when does it end? Oh, you're going to make me look at my calendar. I'm going to make you February, yeah. um, it's President's Day weekend, and uh, I am awful at remembering. It's the 15th, 16th, and 17th. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what does uh, and can you give us an idea of what, what, are, what are tickets looking like as far as costs for people that may want to go? Um, yeah, the, the tickets generally were at about $80 for the weekend. Oh, um, not bad. Let, let me verify that. I, I, I do not. Want to I'm making him go to the website. <laughs> I, you know, I do not have any of this. I don't have, I don't handle this anymore. Once upon a time, I had it all memorized, but everything you want to know is at farpointcon.com. Right. And that'll give you all the information. Let me, uh, let me pull up those prices. Um, and say, I think our prices are very competitive. Yeah, and, they but are. That, that it it just makes me shake my head how much a con costs these days. It does. Yeah, we're eighty bucks uh, free reg for the for the weekend, and then uh, if you want to come just Saturday, which is our longest day, that's fifty five. Uh, Forty for Sunday. We let kids uh, kids six to twelve in for twenty five dollars. Little kids are free. And uh, you can come Friday night or Saturday night for just $10. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, awesome. So, I mean, it, it, it really, it's not that, for a weekend, it's not that expensive. No, you're going to pay a lot more other cons. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a really good guest list, you know, to see these people for yeah. this, this kind of money. And so the web address, again, is farpointcon.com, right? Correct. Right. And... And Steve, uh, where can they find out information about your work? A um, couple of places. Um, I have I have recently uh, set up stephenhwilson.com. That's Stephen with a V. 
Um, and mostly that's hosting my weekly blog right now. Uh, I'm, I'm building a website that features a lot more about my work. Um, there's also PrometheusRadioTheater.com, and that's got all of my audio work. So we, we do a weekly show, and we've got uh, uh, my series, The Arbiter Chronicles, and Lance Woods' superhero series, The Superhuman Times, uh, both featured on there. You can listen to episodes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely free. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we uh, wrap up this interview? Uh, no, I, I think that that really about wraps it up. Please, yeah. uh, please, if you're if it's uh, at all possible, come to Farpoint. If you if you if you love cons, you'll definitely have a blast. If you've never been to a con, this is the place to start. Um, I agree because it's a very gentle, laid back experience. Yeah, I agree. It's very. Uh, uh, if you are a little bit overwhelmed by the whole con thing, it's definitely one that's very accessible and very very. Uh, User-friendly, as I say. So, yes. so very user-friendly. But Well, Steve, we just really appreciate you taking some of your time out uh, and your very hectic and busy schedule to talk about Farpoint, talk about what's going on in your life. Thank you for so much for coming and dining at the Sci-Fi Diner. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Steve, look forward to seeing you at Farpoint. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our interview with Steve Wilson. Before we go tonight, we have a sci-fi five and five. Oh, good. And this is bound to be a dynamite one. Raul put it together. And these are, to him, the five most important movies in sci-fi. Well, he did the five most important television shows. You remember when I he do. did that? Yes. And so he, he's the five most important movies. And and again, just to say up front, any of you listeners out there, if you have your top five Worst five, anything in sci-fi, email them to us. We will read them, or you can put them together as an audio clip, as Raul did. And we love quotes, too. So if We you love know. quotes. Miles loves his quotes. He's always, he's, always, he's always doing quotes, which is absolutely phenomenal, by the way. So Very cool. Well, so let's go ahead, and let me go ahead and play Raul's Sci-Fi 5 in 5. Hi, Scott and Miles. This is Raul, and it took a while. But I have taken up your challenge for the five most important science fiction movies. This was much harder than the television list because not only was the field much larger, sci-fi cinema stretches back 110 years. It also spanned enormous changes in technology, production, and storytelling, far more than television. Actually, science fiction movies have pushed much of the innovation in movie making generally. As before... I am focusing on science fiction and not any related genres. I am also focusing on most important, not best. Finally, this time I'm giving the list in chronological order, not order of importance. I just don't believe it's possible to triage this list by rank. With that said, on with the list. Number one, a trip to the moon. Made in 1902, this 14-minute film is the one that started them all. It is widely acknowledged as the first science fiction film, and while it may not be entirely true, it was certainly one of the very first. Regardless, this is the film that spawned the genre. It was loosely based on Verne's From the Earth to the Moon, 
It included multiple scenes, special effects, including that famous man in the moon, dissolves, superimposition, and even exploding aliens. It is considered the most innovative film of its time. 2. Metropolis Another silent, made in 1925, released in 1927, this German film was a huge innovator with its use of groundbreaking miniatures, superimposition, and other special effects. It also introduced the machine man that would become the inspiration for C-3PO and Star Wars, though it was more of an android than a robot. Techniques pioneered here are still in use today. Rather than something light and fanciful, this full-length feature was a dark work addressing serious social issues of the time, very Wellsian in its dystopian projection of the future. The film is long, even by today's standards, nearly three hours. Yet, even with the length and being silent, it is still a compelling story. If you do watch it, make sure you get the restored version that has most of the missing footage recovered. Number 3. Forbidden Planet We now jump forward 30 years to 1956 for the next on the top 5 list. This is the film that ushered in the modern era of science fiction movies. Forbidden Planet was fairly high budget with outstanding animation effects for its time, and it had a top-notch cast. They managed to pull in one of the very best Disney animators for its effects. No monsters with a zipper or visible wires here. The space scenes were the most realistic possible. And, in my opinion, Forbidden Planet is the father of modern technobabble with its attempts to incorporate science fiction concepts like faster-than-light travel and realistic energy weapons into the dialogues. This was the first film to truly put man out into the stars with science fiction's first human-built interstellar starship. The movie is not Earth-based at all. It was also the first movie with a fully electronic score. In spite of all the special effects, eye candy, the movie was still a serious exploration of the id and subconscious. This movie was also extremely important for one of its main characters. Now, I don't mean Leslie Nielsen in a serious role. I'm referring to Robbie the Robot, who largely stole the show. He was the first robot since Metropolis to not look like a bunch of tin cans. He was also the first robot to follow Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, introduced some years earlier. Finally, this movie was an important inspiration for science fiction to come. Both Star Trek and Star Wars owe a huge debt to Forbidden Planet. Even Joe Straczynski of my beloved Babylon 5 was inspired by this movie. The Great Machine of Epsilon 3 is a direct homage to The Great Machine of Krell. Number 4. 2001 A Space Odyssey What happens when you pair one of the deepest science fiction writers of all time with one of the deepest movie makers of all time? In 1968, we found out. You get 2001. This movie not only is one of the most important science fiction movies, but one of the greatest movies of all time regardless of genre. From the opening three minutes of blank screen, 20 minutes before the first dialogue, massive orchestral score, to the incredible scientific accuracy and a psychotic computer brain, 2001 set a bar that few movies of any genre can meet even today. This is a movie of man's becoming. Using very little dialogue, 
Kubrick and Clark woven an intense story that has people arguing about its interpretation even today. The special effects were of such groundbreaking quality that they still look amazing 45 years later on my 1080p Blu-ray. From advanced modeling to rotating sets, new camera techniques, and help from NASA, they even got access to the Vomit Comet for the scene where Bowman gets back to Discovery. No effort or expense was spared. Every part of this movie took a chance, and it all paid off in the end. Five, and finally. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there wasn't a new hope. Darth was a first name, not a title. And Han shot first. The inclusion on this list is for the 1977 original theatrical release of Star Wars, not Lucas's version de jour. Also remember, this list is for most important, not greatest. While it's a fantastic adventure story, I'm sorry, but Star Wars is not great, or even good, science fiction. That said, after 2001, sci-fi movies has once again descended back into the realm of B. Schlock. I'm not going to spend time on the mind-boggling effects, the awesome battles, or the legendary mythos. We're all familiar with those, and while they are important, they are not what is most important for Star Wars. You see, in 1977, Star Wars made it okay for science fiction to be a big-budget blockbuster again. And while Star Wars may not have been good science fiction, it is because of Star Wars that we got a lot of great sci-fi cinema. Sure, we got The Empire Strikes Back, thank you, Lay Brackett, and we've got the Star Trek movies, though some, like the first and fifth, weren't really that good. But we also got Alien, Blade Runner, 2010. We got Terminator, E.T., Close Encounters. Without Star Wars, most of these and many others would never have occurred, and that doesn't even touch the impact on television. Now, that's my list. I would include some honorable mentions, but this has already gone rather long. For that, I ask you and your listeners your forgiveness. However, the reasons behind the choices did need some explanation. I would love to hear you. Many others would never have occurred, and that doesn't even touch the impact on television. Now, that's my list. I would include some honorable mentions, but this has already gone rather long. For that, I ask you and your listeners your forgiveness. However, the reasons behind the choices did need some explanation. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Keep up the great show, Raul. How do you how do you even follow this, Miles? Uh, um, just uh, yeah, I, I think I'd probably agree with everything. All his choices. I mean, he he. I mean, he was very specific. They're not necessarily the greatest. Or the best, but he said the most important, and each one has a very historical significance. I think a lot of movies that came after each of the movie, he said, you know, he he said was was an important movie, were inspired or drew from that, and so no, that's a phenomenal list. No, and you look at all the people that reference back to these movies, even in current movies, mm-hmm. and you have to say that. There's something that's established here that's important. So I agree. I haven't watched From Earth to the Moon or whatever that 1902 flick was. 
Metropolis, I've never seen. I know I should I, I should be ashamed to call myself a science fiction fan and not do that. Forbidden Planet is one that I kind of want to see and haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other two I've watched, I've watched 2001 multiple times, Star Wars, of course, I watched. Although I will admit, I have never seen the original theatrical version. Yeah, uh, we. I saw it with my family. We saw it in a drive-in theater. Um, that's awesome. So it was, you know, that, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. And what a great way to segue into that. And not great sci-fi, but important sci-fi. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, no, that, that was extremely well thought. Um, you know, and that's you look off at, to you. You look at 2001 today, it's a slow-moving movie. But no doubt in its importance and its role in sci-fi history. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it was a groundbreaker at the time. Yeah. Raul, I cannot thank you enough for sending in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. What a great one. We hope that you enjoyed it. And as always, we'd love to hear your Sci-Fi 5 and 5s, and we gave you the digits already about how you can get them to us. Miles, I think that is about it. All we, right. we, we do need to wrap up the Sci-Fi Diner. When we go out, we got to hear a, a great song by Leonard Nimoy. I think we do, too. I mean, um... It's important, and this really is honor. This is an honor of Raul, I think. You know, but so, let, let us honor Raul with this. We, we should. So why don't you go ahead and let, let's close out the diner? Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in our next show in two weeks, and don't forget to try for the trivia. And I believe that's about it, Miles. All right. Till next time. Good night and good luck. All right. We will see you. In the